struts like John Wayne, resembles Jim Carrey, and dresses like he's visually impaired. Because he is Insight. Insight with Mark Farrell on the Progressive Radio Network. 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 Yes, it is safe to say I got the fever, man. I have Olympic fever. <laughs> Every night I am glued to the TV watching the games, pretty much despite what sports being shown pretty much so far. It's only been swimming and gymnastics for the most part. But I am a junkie, man. Every four years this happens to me, I'm thinking like, well, maybe this year, you know, it's been postponed a year. Life is different. No, no, no. I am all in. Hey, it's Mark Farrell. The show's Insights on the Progressive Radio Network. What a show we have for you today. You're going to hear an intimate conversation I have with Chris Bosch. Of course, Chris Bosch, big year for him, NBA Hall of Famer. And he's written a book, Letters to a Young Athlete, a collection of short essays imparting life lessons to young athletes. Chris is a great guy, doing great work, and I'm really happy that I connected with him uh, the other week. So, yeah, are you in? I am so hook, line, and sinker in for the Olympics. And I think it's something that we needed desperately because to root for somebody, for a sport, to be thrust and catapulted out of our everyday rituals. Yes, of course, it requires sitting around the TV or holding a digital device, but it's so much fun to see the fruition of what people have worked so hard for in their life. I mean, these people have sacrificed so very much. Dates, proms, weddings, meeting significant others, jobs, careers, money, you name it. Yes, maybe it'll all come to them after they complete their dream or their attempt at attaining their dream. But until they get there, man, it is really, really a big and major sacrifice. So I thank all the athletes representing Team USA across the spectrum because, man, kudos to you. That is such a lifelong commitment. And once an athlete like that, that just transpires into all aspects of life. Think about that because if you are a big-time type A personality on the court, on the field, that translates and transfers into the corporate setting, into being an entrepreneur, into everything in life. And, and that's a great skill set to have. And of course, we're talking about the Olympics. But of course, the Paralympics follow the Olympics. And of course, that's in Tokyo as well. And as a matter of fact, I have my own little belief system that the Paralympics, I believe, should be, and I know some people disagree with me about this, and that's fine. I think it should precede the Olympics because, of course, the attention wanes, media coverage vastly drops off. But if you put it first, it's a great way to ramp up people's interest in the sport by persons with disabilities on a global platform. I mean, they are just incredible. If you think the Olympics are amazing, I had the privilege and honor of covering a lot of Paralympic trials years ago before the Sydney Olympics. And I was just enamored because I was working with a because I was working with a company called We Media. It was the first website and magazine for persons with disabilities. And they were all over the Olympics and Paralympics. I'm sorry, I misspoke. I said Olympics as well, Paralympics. And they were just an incredible company that just really exposed readers and viewers to things that they have never, never had seen before. So therefore, I've always been a junkie for the Paralympics. Uh, I was supposed to go to uh, the Sydney Games, but uh, my real job, my radio job, <clears throat> Uh, prevented me from doing so. So I did not go. But it was really, really uh, a great 
fulfilling thing to see that people working so hard in the Paralympic trials um, gain their spot. And more importantly today, because all those people have paved the road. As a matter of fact, I'm going out to Denver in a week, and I'm really looking forward to going to the Paralympic Museum that's new, that just opened recently in Colorado Springs. And really, really excited to be there just before the Paralympic Games start. And speaking of Paralympics, um, it, it just breaks my heart that Becca Myers, I'm sure you heard of Becca Myers, she's the Paralympic swimmer who's deafblind, who had to back out of the Paralympic Games because her request uh, was refused by the Olympic and Paralympic Committee to have a assistant, a personal assistant, join her. And, you know, there's probably more to it than we know, but I'm sure it's all going to come out because it's really, really getting a lot of widespread notoriety and not a good way for the Paralympic and Olympic committees. Because here's a woman who's really, really ultra talented. Yes, she's disabled. And yes, she needs a personal assistant. Now, when you think about it, all the different exceptions that are made, they have horse trainers that go. They have caddies, golf caddies. Come on. Aren't golf carts made for that? <laughs> yeah, I know I'm making light of it. But the reality is um, this needs to be highly, highly reconsidered. And I hope before the Paralympics start, I know, first of all, I hope Becca is still training her ass off because I imagine with all the backlash on social media that's going to come to light that there was a mistake made, um, they have a change of policy, they're going to make an exception, whatever the case may be. And it's pretty funny because if you think about it, July is Disability Pride Month, which there's only a few more days left in. The ADA celebrated its 31st anniversary the other day, Americans with Disabilities Act. So this is really uncanny that this is happening in 2021 a Paralympian can't go to the games, a swimmer who's deafblind because she's not granted the privilege, no, I wouldn't say privilege, the right to have a personal assistant. So do me a favor. Do Becca Myers a favor. Do persons everywhere on the globe with a disability a favor. It's on social media. Just Google her name, Becca Myers, and sign a petition to the Olympic and Paralympic committees to grant her or allow or ask them to reconsider Becca Myers, the privilege, the right, what she deserves to bring a personal assistant to the games. I mean, it's just really unfathomable when you think about it. It's not like she's getting a, a leg up, an advantage. Can you imagine? Okay, let's put this in perspective. Can you imagine being deaf? going through the world. Can you get by? Of course. Is it difficult? Hell yeah. Now you're blind. You're deaf and blind. Okay. You're navigating the world. And you want to be an athlete. Okay. You want to be a swimmer? Sure. And there's Becca Myers, training nonstop, deaf and blind in the pool for countless years. There she goes. She gets... Through the Paralympic trials, gets her slot on the Paralympic team to represent the United States of America. And she's denied her right to bring a personal assistant. Now, 
Going to a foreign country for anybody, for most people, I should say, is daunting. Now, if you introduce a disability, that brings into a whole new level of being frightened. The new is always uncertain, and traveling can be, certainly in this day and age, with the pandemic, it's more important than ever to make sure it's done in a safe manner. So why not allow personal assistance? Even more so, expand the confines and the rules and regulations, because persons with disabilities need to have that. It's not a luxury. It's an accommodation. Accommodation. As I just mentioned, the ADA has been around for 31 years. I hope they're getting slapped with lawsuits left and right. But you know what? That, that's not going to fix the problem right here and now because Becca Myers will miss out. She needs to represent the 55 million Americans with disabilities in the pool at the games so she can shine, so she can have the right to perform in the spot that she earned. I feel a little bit better getting that off my chest. <laughs> yeah, so letters to a young athlete. Chris Bosch is coming around the corner. You know, I think it's accurate to say that he's, he's just an amazing dude. He was part of the Miami Heat, that storm that happened in Miami for a couple of years that really turned basketball upside down. It was really an exciting time, an era that many people will never forget. And it's really great that Chris has penned this and obviously doing a lot of media to give people a better perspective of who Chris Bosch is as a father and as a contributor to the community. Um, have you done much this summer in terms of fun? I hope you have because I've been doing something uh, last two or three weeks. We went to a theme park not too far down the road from us called Great Adventure. It's owned by Six Flags. I think there's actually six locations, one located in Canada, one in Maryland, one in upstate New York, and the other three, you're on your own, four. Uh, two, because there's one in Jackson, New Jersey. Anyway, uh, I'm not a fan of fast and furious rides whatsoever. It's because I'm scared. I am just chicken blank, man. I cannot go on those rides. But the irony is that it's not the heights. It's not the speed. It's the control factor. So I've done, you know, my fair share or more of crazy things. Jumped out of a plane. Uh, flown a glider plane, have walked on roofs, untethered, um, not frightened, not scared, you know, playing it safe. Uh, still do it. Uh, I've gone down hills on my, or mountains, I should say, on my bike, over 50 miles an hour on a bicycle. I've uh, done a fair amount of crazy things, scuba dives, all kinds of things. But you cannot get me on these crazy rides, man. They just freak me out. It's a control thing. Ridden snowmobile 80 miles an hour, motorcycles over 80, uh, making over 100 miles an hour. No problem. Yeah, I get to the point where I'm like, okay, all right, time to back it down, Mark. All right, it's feeling a little unsteady here. Feeling like I'm going through the safety threshold of like maybe no return. Okay, I'll back it down. Even stood on the top of World Trade Center building number one, the actual roof, because our transmitter was located on the building for a radio station I worked for, CD 101.9. Actually, most radio stations, their transmitter, the master antenna, was located on World Trade Center number one. So I had the privilege of standing on top of that building and actually looking down. And I kid you not, 
a helicopter passed below us. That's how high that building was. Whew, makes me sad every time I think about that. So anyway, my, the point is, um, I, I guess I'm a daredevil. I certainly think to a certain degree, yeah, I've taken my fair share of risk. But I cannot get on these crazy rides, man, whatsoever. Can you? Do you enjoy it? Or is it the fact that you almost come unhinged is what makes it part of the enjoyment? No, man, I can't do it. I uh, I pushed the limit a little bit <laughs> the other week. I went with my eight-year-old on a roller coaster. Now, we're looking at the roller coaster. I'm like, well, you know, it doesn't look too bad. I walk up to the guy on the line, which is a mistake because the kid's probably all of 18, if that. He's like, oh, yeah, it's a baby ride. I'm like, baby ride? Sign me up. Let's go, sweetie. We get on a ride. I'm like, this, this ain't no baby ride, man. Oh, my God. So I just shut my eyes and held on to my daughter. I'm like, and I try to console her. I'm like, hey, it's going to be fine. Just shut your eyes. Hey, just squeeze me. Let's laugh and talk and sing. Meanwhile, I'm thinking like, holy, oh, my God. This is no goddamn baby ride, man. Baby for who? Man, when that thing was over, I could finally unclench my entire body. <sighs> Give me a log flume. Give me the like Sky Tram, you know, that little uh, car that goes over all the theme parks and goes over very slowly and you, you can look down and look at all the rides that you won't go on. Yeah, that's me. But anyway, the point is that um, I'm doing a couple things this summer that I haven't done in a long time, especially since we were all locked out. Not that I went on crazy rides before. But it's kind of neat because I love seeing the world open. And yeah, I know we're slowly going backward, but I'm not going to go there today. I'm going to keep it forward motion, positive, that uh, to see people so elated, so happy, living life outside in their bathing suits, getting wet and sweaty and thirsty and tired and fatigued and just having a time of their lives. Of course, this is at a theme park. But even at the beach, uh, at the local uh, reservoir where I run and bike, and when I'm out cycling, I just see people just just being themselves, man. I mean, there's nothing better than just being able to do what you want to do. And of course, being in the music business, I work for a rock station, as you know, that having live events again, oh man, there is nothing that tops that. It is just so so gratifying to let your hair down, to hear something that you just resonate with. As a matter of fact, yesterday I had to uh, do an errand down in Asbury Park. Asbury Park is the music epicenter of New Jersey, safe to say. And I was getting in my car across the street from the Stone Pony, which is the epicenter in the city, which is the epicenter of rock and roll. And they're doing a sound check. Actually, the sound check wasn't even for a band. They were just actually still constructing the stage and the audio rigging and everything. And they started playing this reggae song. As a matter of fact, I uh, shazammed it because I never heard this before. And I got goosebumps in every pore of my body, man, just because of hearing these ginormous speakers pump this music. It was the salt air. It was the just notion, the pure notion of hearing and envisioning, experiencing live music. It wasn't live music. It was a recording, but still, just that mere notion. Have you experienced a concert this year since, you know, the world is open? Oh, it's great. You don't even really have to be that much into live music. As a matter of fact, I'm so stoked because the Shine Music Festival in Denver, Colorado, 
is happening on August 8th, Sunday, August 8th. And the reason why I bring this up again is because not only is it the first radically accessible music festival, it is free and I'm inviting you. So there's multiple <laughs> reasons for you to join me. I have the privilege of hosting it. Sean Satterfield is a guest on my show. She's the founder and executive director and inclusion specialist. I love that title of the Shine Music Festival. And check out the website, shinemusicfestival.com. It's free. It's radically accessible. They have technology that is the first of its kind, shinemusicfestival.com. As a matter of fact, I'll put a link in the archive uh, section of this show so you can, uh, if you miss it, you can't write it down. You can't research it right now. You can go on to the Insight page at a later date. But much before August 8th, because airfare is cheap out to Denver, and, of course, Denver itself is unbelievable. I mean, it's at the Levitt Pavilion. It's an amphitheater outside, of course, and it holds about 14,000. They're only permitting about 7,000 attendees because they want to make it spacious. They want to make it easy for people to navigate. Of course, just like Becca Myers, other people need personal assistance when you have a disability. So we're giving people that space. And it's a really compelling-looking festival. I mean, great bands on two stages, all kinds of vendors, interactive technology, assistive technology like you wouldn't believe. So do me a favor, at least log on. Check it out, shinemusicfestival.com. If you can't get there, I totally understand because you will live vicariously through me because, because I will be more than happy to report back on how spectacular this particular event will be. As a matter of fact, I think the timing is really fascinating, how it's aligned with post-pandemic. It was actually in the works for pre-pandemic, but Sean had to pull the plug understandably, like the entire rest of the world. Uh, but now it's back, back with a vengeance. And the the owners of the venue at Levitt Pavilion, the board members have been extremely kind and gracious and understanding and opening their doors and not charging a fee. There is no fee attached to going to the Shine Music Festival. No ticket prices whatsoever. Because you think of a barrier, in life, there are many barriers when you're disabled, and financial barriers are very, very real. So if you have the accessibility to get there, the transportation, the will, the desire, but you can't afford a ticket, well, that's a barrier. So Sean Satterfield has removed that barrier entirely, along with many other barriers. So looking forward to see you, hopefully, hopefully there. If you do go there, make sure you find me and say hello, because I will be navigating through the crowd. As a matter of fact, I have... A few unique ideas. I think they're unique ideas about how to start the show, how I like to integrate and mix with an audience, even as large as 7,000 people, because I don't like to just stay up on stage and speak from afar because I like to feel the audience. I like the audience to be able to see me because, first of all, being visually impaired, um, I can't see the audience really well. So to be close to an audience is really kind of something special. And I, and I like the fact that, especially with persons with disabilities, it makes it much more real and intimate. So anyway, shymusicfestival.com. So let's get on to the interview of the day. Chris Bosch, man, great guy. I think you're really, really going to dig an inside look about Chris Bosch, his role in the NBA, what he contributed to the game, and how music and so much more have impacted his life. Chris Bosch, welcome to the show. So glad to have you. Man, thanks for having me. I think it's accurate to say that you're having a banner year book release, becoming NBA Hall of Famer, and the world is right side up, man. This is your year. Thank you. Um, it's good to celebrate good news, man. I have to say, um, you know, honestly, it's been a lot of hard work um, since I had to retire from the game. 
um, yeah, there were more um, challenging days than easy ones. Um, and just to be at this moment, um, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure I savor every moment. You know what I mean? Um, just because every year isn't always a good one. Sometimes you're going to be challenged. So um, I'm just so happy to be in this position. As evidence in the last 16 months or so. But I think what's really on the world's mind is, Chris Bosh, what's harder? 14 years in the NBA, raising five kids. <laughs> raising five kids. Um, you know, with uh, with Father's Day being yesterday, yeah. uh, we had such a great time. We, I was joking around. Look, we took we took the kids to the beach, and we just wanted to, you know, hang out, maybe eat a couple snacks, not get in the water. They all got in the water fully clothed. You know, we had to uh, ride back home and get everybody showered so we could make dinner. <laughs> That's but, the way of parenthood, right? Yeah, yeah. It's challenging, but um, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I've had um, older friends of mine tell me that this is the most important time. Um, you will you will be so satisfied for the work that you put into your kids. So, you know, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to that being more than a 14-year career. Yeah, so much so. I think it's really evidenced by what you put in is really a direct result of what you get out, you know, and I think maybe one of the real reasons you wrote this book is so you don't have to have this conversation five different times. <laughs> right? Yeah. Look, we're going to we're going to make it required reading pretty much. That's going to be a Bosch rite of passage, maybe like in their adolescent or or, or, or preteen or teenage years. You know, they're definitely going to have to yep. pick it up. And read. Absolutely. <laughs> so your book reflects on life adversity, commitment, uh, success in a series of uh, letters, of course, written to your younger version, which I can't believe because you're so young as it is. But the, uh, <laughs> what is your greatest adversity, you think, as a kid? And, and how much did it build character and strength in you? Man, I think the biggest thing um, as a kid is, is just being a kid, um, where we're from. Um, I'm from a small town called Hutchins, Texas. Um, I, I really didn't know um, about the financial situation that my mom and dad were in. Um, you know, we were kids, we had friends. Um, luckily, one of the only kids that I know with both parents in the house, you know, um, my parents, you know, tried and tried, but we were lower middle class. And, um, you know, there were some, uh, uh, some times when it, when it got rough. And, um, you know, my dad, one of the first things that he told me uh, was, you know, hey, basketball is a great thing. You can get a scholarship because I don't have any money to pay for college. I'm telling you just now, I'm like 11 or 12 years old, you know, and I think that was the most. Yeah, I think that was the most um, things uh, that we had to do with lack of resources. Um, there's not too many people coming around. Um, you, you don't know as a, as a young black male, you don't have a figure of success that looks like you. Um, and there's not too many. You got Michael Jordan and man, that's, uh, you know, is almost it. But, um, you know, we continue to, to just really just really try and just really strive. I think that was the biggest, biggest challenge. And, you know, unbeknownst to me, it was probably more of a challenge for my parents. I would imagine that you have an arsenal that you have up your sleeve. But what do you think is the, the most lethal weapon that got you into the NBA? I mean, on the heels of what you just said, it's probably resilience, it's determination. It's wanting something more out of life. Yeah, that's definitely, I think, the number one um, thing. And I write about it in my book, um, you know, talking about hunger. You got to have that gift of hunger. Um, and I speak about this as well. Um, anytime we played those better off schools, 
you know, we, we wanted a piece of them because it's like, we've got our crappy little gym and they've got their state of our facilities, but man, in between these lines, we're some hungry young lions. And, um, you, you know, the fact that w- there is a difference, we want to show, we want to even it out um, on the court. And I think the biggest thing that, uh, you know, other than that, other than that hunger was, was speed, you know, speed kills. Um, I, I was thin, I was skinny, but you couldn't catch me, <laughs> you know? Still can't. I, um, yeah, I, I really uh, developed that part of my game, developed my conditioning. And, you know, we just wanted to be more of a track athlete out there, you know, running, jumping, finishing. And then once we get to the fourth quarter, I mean, you know, is you know, I felt like the game was all mine. On a different level completely, but on the same parallel to some extent, I coach youth soccer. And I say to these kids, especially after being on the couch for a year and a half, we just came back a couple months ago. Yeah. No practice is just game time. You got to go out there and go for it. So I had no real time to, you know, no tutelage for skills, et cetera. I said, here's the deal. They may be better than us, but we're going to be more conditioned than them. So when they're done with their fancy footwork, because it's soccer, I said, we're going to be <laughs> running up and down this field in your position, but that's how we're going to win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've seen and I've seen so many guys in, in, and girls in the NBA and WNBA develop and, and just be that person that is just the best conditioned, toughest person out there. And yeah, that fancy footwork, you can't use it when you're tired. You, you know, um, that's that's the main thing. While everybody's working on their fancy footwork. Yeah, we're just going to run straight ahead, put the ball in the goal and, and get it. back on D. Wear down our competition. <laughs> How much stock, Chris Bosch, for a young kid who's loving basketball, how much stock would you have them put into making it to the NBA as a way out? I mean, other options that are uh, more realistic for them in pro sports. I mean, do you still think this is a viable way? Do you think it's like the carrot that was dangled for you that obviously paid off for you? But you're an exception. I am an exception. And, And, you know, I would never tell anybody what they can't do. You know, I would never, ever, ever do that. But... Um, I would, you know, um, make them realize the, 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 the likelihood, right. Um, of what can happen. And, and, you know, at the same time, you've got to be hitting bars. You have to hit those milestones. And if you're not hitting them, then eventually you have to be realistic with yourself, but that doesn't mean you can't continue to love the game. You know, I would, I would tell someone to, you know, just love the game of basketball and, and don't let that attachment to being a professional or being in the NBA just ruin it all if you don't make it. You know, um, if you love the game, if you have a couple hobbies, if you pour your time um, into other things as well and have other likes, um, I think that's most important um, because the game is going to bring enough people around you. You're going to make connections, make friends, hopefully. And, you know, the, the NBA isn't the uh, end-all, be-all cure. You know, so I would definitely tell people to love the game and not put too much of a focus on if you make it or not. Just go step by step. And that can be <clears throat> any game and, and more credibility to your point. Um, knowing the difference between having a full blown passion for a sport versus knowing this is what you eat, breathe and live for in every core of your body and being. This is what you have to have and succeed in life. I think that's the difference between knowing you have the chops and skills is one thing, but the, the mental resiliency and the fortitude to go all the way. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, because it's not going to always be about skill. You know, there's going to be a situation that you can't dribble your way out of. Right. You know, <laughs> like that. You, you're going to yeah, you're going to have to build up some mental resiliency. You're going to have to prepare yourself mentally. And I mean, you know, just even in my experience, there were so many times I came into the NBA as a skilled offensive player and eventually got more skilled and built myself up to that. My biggest plays in the league were mostly defensive, um, you know, so I, I had to prepare my game, prepare myself and prepare my ego to be able to take that hit because, you know, as a kid in the driveway, you're not blocking a shot in the last seconds, you're making the shot, right? So um, I had to learn that there's other facets of the game, but, you know, I also learned that you can still be successful doing other things within the game. It's not always about that one particular thing that you think you should be doing. Chris Bosch is my guest. His new book is Letters to a Young Athlete. My name is Mark Farrell. The show's Insight on the Progressive Radio Network. What's your perspective, Chris, on youth sports and extreme dedication? I mean, you see this all the time. You read about it. Is it too much? <laughs> Trainers, training programs that augments the development, the team practices, the tournaments, just the tons of money and endless time you have to <laughs> Obviously, if it pays off, then it's all justifiable. But where do you stand on this? You know, I do think it's a problem, you know, um, and it's a solution. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, knock um, the people out there doing it. But with that said, um, you know, nowadays I could just do a dribbling video and put it on Instagram and kids will pay me to do dribbling camps. I, I do think there is a method to learning the game. Um, one of the most, important things of the game or parts of the game is pickup, you know, playing pickup, pickup soccer, pickup basketball, seven on seven football, you know, just going into the gym or getting on the field and just playing. I think um, that's a, that's a bit of an art that's lose, losing its luster a little bit. And I think that could help out. And I mean, you know, it's the sensationalization of everything, right? You, everybody want to make, wants to make the NBA. They want their kid to go to college and, this person that's doing these shooting drills, they're guaranteeing that that could happen. So it's very individualized. But at the same time, at the end of the day, it's it's about, you know, my best summer days. And this is just me. My best summer days where I felt that I learned the most was getting up, going play basketball with my friends, you know, not worrying Until about skill over. Man, you know, just you learn you learn how to play the game in that way. I think it's as pure as form. And um, I think a lot of people can really benefit from that if they dove into it more. Near a uh, jazz radio station I used to work at in New York City was a great court, Chris, on West 3rd, right off of 7th Avenue next to the Blue Note. And there would be guys on this court. I, I'd like to say 24 hours a day, but every time I walked by and I'd go to lunch <laughs> purposely to walk by there. Hey, I'm six foot three. I don't have the gift. I don't have the game. I'm visually impaired. I like to shoot around, you know, casually. And I know my limits, right? But I do triathlons and marathons, right? We're all gifted. But to yeah. watch these scrappy dudes on the court, it just really underscores your point about just getting out there, you know, with the grit, with the dynamite, not knowing a person's uh, pros and cons in terms of what they're gifted at or not on the court, just really, really builds a character of a, a solid player. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's what it's about, you know, just getting up and down, feeling how tired you're getting. Like I say, when you're sitting up there just dribbling drills, just looking good for the gram, 
that really doesn't do anything. You haven't done anything, you know, but if you're, I want to see somebody like, okay, man, that looks great. Tell your trainer to do 10 sprints up and back. Now do the same thing. And, and, and it'll just fall apart. So, you know, I'm, I'm just a firm believer in that because you know, that those, those were the butts that we kicked everybody doing those nice, cute dribbling drills and shooting drills. Okay. Yeah. It's not about this. We're going, we're going to give you some of that. Yeah. That grit and that grime and get up and down this court. And that's what it's about. Yep. That combined with the 10,000 hour rule. Absolutely. Absolutely. 10,000 hours of running. (laughs) (laughs) Build a strong heart. So Pat Riley, of course, your coach, uh, NBA legend, um, of course, you have an incredible relationship. He penned the forward to your uh, really dynamite and insightful book. How important do you think it is to have a great relationship or at least a, a good working relationship with a coach on any level, especially the NBA? Oh, I think um, I think it's very important. Um, you know, you, you don't have to like each other necessarily. Um, it, it, it helps if you do. Uh, but, you know, you have to have respect. Um, and, you know, with both uh, Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra, I mean, you know, countless dinners, countless lunches, knocking on, on the door for a meeting. Was it uncomfortable? Yes. You know, you know, it's not easy telling your coach, hey, I'm unhappy. I, I want the damn ball. It was necessary. Um, we both um, found a way to communicate. Communication is always key. And, you know, at the end of the day, we all respected each other because we wanted to win. And, um, yeah, if you like the person to your right and your left, it makes it a little easier. So I always believed in that. And I always wanted to keep that uh, communication line open between, you know, me and anybody else that I was, um, you know, trying to accomplish something after winning uh, back-to-back championships in 12 and 13, how did you feel? Were you deflated or were you compassionate and understanding when LeBron said, you know what? I, I got to go. I later became compassionate at the time. I wasn't. Remember when I was telling you, you know, it's just how I was raised and where I'm from. We are extremely competitive, extremely competitive. And in my mind, you know, we're going to run it back and, and get back to the finals and hopefully uh, get over the hump this time. But after dissecting it more, I understood more. Um, I understood. I couldn't imagine, you know, folks in Dallas not caring for me too much. And, you know, and that being kind of a mark um, in in history. So, you know, under later context, I understood why he did it. But at the time, I didn't want to hear it. (laughs) You know, I can't imagine. I mean, you uproot your life, you change your whole maybe professional trajectory to go to Miami. And you're like, what? The carpet gets pulled out from under your feet. Well, I mean, he's, and, and, you know, he's the best player in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, come on, let's hang I out like together. Those, let's do this again yeah, and again. Yeah. Let's, let's keep going, man. He's a good time, man. Everybody's coming around. We got yeah, beach man. headphones, you know, new sneakers, <laughs> but it. you know, just, just the way he played the game and yeah. the leader he was, I mean, you know, it's like, man, I, he will truly be missed inside and um, uh, outside the locker room and on the court and off the court, you know, those passes, they weren't, you know, they weren't as crispy and in the pocket, you know. And then even for me, everybody kept saying, hey, all right, Chris, here we go. Yeah. Toronto, yeah. Toronto, Chris. I'm like, <laughs> I, OK, I'm not Toronto, Chris. <laughs> and I'm better than I ever was before. But, you, you know, in, in the later context, I understood why he did it. And, and you know, he, he obviously did it, made a successful decision. Right? Absolutely. Hey, Chris, at any point, did you finally say to yourself, Chris, 
what am I talking about? I had ample time with this guy. The rest of the league, most of the guys, you know, just played against him. I was his teammate. I was his brother in arms. We did a lot of damage together. I should yeah. not be upset. No, no, no. Yeah. And and I eventually got to that. And, and me and LeBron had a conversation after that. And I told him, like, hey, dude, look, you know, you know me. And, um, you know, you know, we squashed it because at the end of the day, it's about taking yeah, care of your family, yep. being successful. And the way I saw it, hey, this is another chance for me to kind of establish myself, uh, reestablish myself as a primary scorer, mm. one, a one, a one, two punch and, you know, get back on top um, of my game in that regard. Chris, I imagine that you are hopeful that your book is going to do a lot of things optimistically in a positive manner. Are you hopeful that it'll make the uh, our woke generation, which is good, everyone's awake, um, but they're soft, man, um, to, to give them a little bit more grit and a reality check? No, yeah, absolutely. And that's um, that's one of the things that um, I feel is, is most important. Um, there are going to be challenges. There are going to be adversities that come your way. Um, I see too many people, young and old, uh, give up because it got hard or, or, or have a dream and s- stop doing it because it got hard. Like it's not supposed to be hard. Um, you're going to have challenges. You're going to go through things. And it is what it is. You know, uh, one of the things that, you know, I'm very big on mental health, but I've seen some people kind of use it as a thing to get out of something. You know what I mean? So that's going to you know, we have to learn these terms, but at the same time, you know, there are going to be times when you have to push through not wanting to give up. Um, so just knowing that, reiterating that, and not going to the next thing. You pick your thing, you stick with it. In 2016, a uh, surprise blood clot was a, uh, a phrase that was delivered to you in a doctor's office that, of course, rocked your world. Um, and I can't even think of a, a parallel, a metaphor that would do it justice. But in terms of, you know, I'm sure you had your own mindset of how your career would sunset. And yeah. that wasn't on the agenda, man. So how did you cope with that? Time. <laughs> Time. A lot of people yeah. ask me that and I say, yo, I don't have nothing. I, yeah. I can't, um, you know, tell you anything. There was no magic tricks. It's just going, um, pouring myself into being a father and a husband. Cause you know, life doesn't stop thankfully. And, and, you know, I have, like we were talking before, got five kids, so they need me to be productive. I had just had my twins, uh, or my wife did rather we did. And <laughs> well said my know, friend. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And, and you know, it's just, it, it just, you know, it just got to one of those things where it just took time. You know, I had to go through my stages of grief, um, I had to get through it, but I eventually realized what's uh, more important and just realized where I was and just to say, I mean, okay, it happened to me. I can't believe it, but I have to move on. Um, I am not a basketball player anymore. As much as I identified with that, I had to learn that that's not all the pieces to me. And now, you know, the ultimate challenge is finding that next thing, you know, and, 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 and getting better at that and hopefully, you know, being great at something else. Letters to a young athlete is Chris Bosch's new book. Chris, I have to ask you, describe that feeling when you launch yourself into the air for a dunk, for a smackdown, for whatever it is your goal is right then. How indomitable do you feel? 
I mean, it's, it's the culmination of all the hours and the training that you put into this one moment, right? And you do it over and over and over and over and over. Um, it's a part of the process, but that's one of the things that I loved about basketball was just the, the expression. You know, I was able to express myself just, just, you know, just, man, I've been getting killed in practice and I've been wearing myself down in training and now I get the, uh, yell at the crowd. Let me hear you. Yeah. You know, I'm doing what I was born to do. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know what um, other uh, uh, folks is training uh, is you might write that line on that paper and that poem and be like, Ugh! you know, that's the, that's the moment. But that, that was that moment of the, like I said, the culmination of that training, all of those hours um, that you worked so hard yeah, for, That rush, um, you know, yeah, let it go. Let it all go, man. That was my favorite part. Especially <laughs> when it ends the way you set out for it a few seconds before. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so I imagine a silver lining to all this, of course, you have five kids and you had the twins after this diagnosis is your passion and love for music. So that's mm -hmm. something that was, back burnered for a long time but then you said you probably had an aha moment said you know what all right well well here it is now it's time yeah i mean as tough as it is to come to that realization yeah you have to um i loved other things and i had never asked that question to myself before what else do i love i couldn't come up with anything so i had to go on that search so people out there that or like, I don't have anything. I know how you feel. <laughs> I know how you feel. I at least had one thing. Then I didn't have it anymore. Um, you know, so I had to go out there and, and figure out what I love doing. But that was the main thing. What do I love? And then if you start with what you love and then just kind of follow that feeling, you'd be amazed um, at what you could, you know, what you can find and where you'll be. Did the uh, Wayman Tisdales of the world kind of give you... Uh, a glimmer of hope like hey man this cat is cool look what he did yo wayman tisdale man a lot of people don't know about wayman tisdale awesome. rest in peace Poor guy. Um, yeah but like i knew about him always heard about him this was before you know i heard about him dabbling or really not even dabbling doing music yeah. before you, you know i had even i even was doing music myself so that was always in the back of my mind um, just to see that someone can man, be, you know, have more than more than one thing. And more importantly, uh, you should check out his documentary if you haven't checked it out. Just the joy that it brought him, him smiling. He smiled more playing the bass than on the court. I think you're right. You he know? used to come. Yeah. He used to come to my jazz station in the city, CD 101.9. And when that guy came in, first of all, he had a duck way down in my studio. He's a big fella. And he brought his bass in one time. He's like, Mark, you, I can stay here a little bit. I'm like, wait a minute. You just keep jamming. I'm just going to record you. You keep doing your thing. We had him in a few of our shows. He was just a great guy. And, and the best part about him was his heart. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it showed me that you could do other things. So that was very inspiring. I'm going to have to go through his records, man. <laughs> chop, chop some up and, you know, cut them up, man. Make some beats. You know, um, you say that you have to have different loves now, um, but they can't and nobody can't. The sport can't take that purest thing away from you. Like the, just the, the touch of the ball in your hand, mm -hmm. like the smell of a court, whether it's back in Texas when you're in high school, the, the pores of the basketball, the, the sound of the squeaks on the court, and of course the roar of a cacophonous crowd. I mean, that lives forever up here. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, I write about those things in my book, you know, find your why Um, you saying that. I mean, that just takes me back right there. Squeaky sneakers and that that mildewy, sweaty, (laughs) bleachery, woody smell. Oh, man, it gets me going. I love the game and I love that younger people. Um, can take that, hopefully take those same yeah, things in yeah. and hopefully it will inspire them. And finally, Chris, uh, of course, with hindsight being 2020, when you look back, would you have done anything differently? Of course, these notes to yourself in this book and to every youth, and you don't have to be a youth to enjoy this book because I myself as a radio guy and motivational speaker really <laughs> found this gripping because not only is uh, sports and fitness and movement medicine, music is medicine. But in terms of um, looking back, would you have done anything differently on a major scale? I will, you know, the only thing I can say that I would um, consider doing more of was being, uh, being more of a communicator, talking to my teammates more. I would have had a couple of more dinners, um, a few more lunches, it would have made more laps, though. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I, look, the laps, you can't change that. We're going we're gonna to finish these That's laps. And, and, you know, maybe after that, we could get a good bite uh, to eat. But I definitely, definitely would have, um, you know, done that a little more. Have a couple of more team functions. Not, not so much in Miami because we were, you know, we were like this. But my younger years in Toronto, I definitely would have you know, um, um, you've done more in the leadership position um, in that fashion. Of course, you founded your independent label, uh, Daddy Jack Records, which is a nod to your grandfather. You're playing the guitar. Uh, You got some some very, very credible and very skilled artists on your belt, on your label. You've launched a nonprofit called Team Tomorrow, which, of course, is you walking the walk and doing the talk because this book that you wrote is all about inspiring tomorrow's leaders, whether they're just going to a job every day or leading a corporation, whether their skin is black, white, brown, but that is important because it takes a village. Whether you're an NBA player working at uh, Costco or driving a truck, we need a drive, we need a mission, we need a plan, and we need to feel whole. I love the way you said that, man. I don't want to mess that up. You know what I mean? That's uh, <laughs> that is awesome. But yeah, you hit it. You hit the nail right on the head. Um, that's what it's about. This book is for everybody. Um, you know, getting through the day, becoming great. That's what it's about. And I want to motivate people to just reach um, the best in themselves. And these are stories that I felt. Um, you know, we're pivotal in my life um, and I'm able to reverse engineer my success so um, people can take it and, and use it for themselves. And that thrill that you get when you speak to you through Team Tomorrow, uh, whether it's in Texas or elsewhere, is that a similar rush as when you're skying through the air? Oh, we're coming. This was before the league. People spoke to me um, nice. before. before. So, yeah, that's a passion. Uh, we've got some things in the work. We're coming. Great. And, um, you know, we're out here to inspire the youth. So, uh, you know, they're up next. We want to make sure that we're sending that message to them to, to get them out of bed and, 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 and get to it. Yes, yes. <laughs> well said, Chris Bosch. Well, I think between your music and Team Tomorrow, I think your court just grew. 
I appreciate it, you know, man. Thanks it, a lot. It grew immensely, and I wish you all the best. And uh, I hope that all the adults listening uh, pick up this book because it's filled with sage advice and it needs to be imparted to everyone. All the best to you, Chris Bosch. I, I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, man. And yes, Chris Bosch is retired, but like any professional athlete, they're never fully retired. After we finished our conversation, he got up and went into the other room and resumed his workout that he was doing prior to our interview. So thank you so much, Chris, for your time. And special thanks to Sarah for executing and making this great conversation happen. Hey, it's Mark Farrell. The show is Insight on the Progressive Radio Network. Got a few more minutes and want to talk about the insurrection, the officers who are testifying this week. And it's just mind-boggling to hear these professionals, these patrolmen, heroic and brave men, share very, very emotional, professional, and real concerns about what took place and what could still take place. They're so well-spoken. It seems like their words are being spoken, not something that has been written for them. The way they're conveying, I mean, some of the guys are crying. I mean, it just boggles my mind how this isn't a slam dunk. Okay, we need security around the Capitol. This needs to be revamped. Was Trump complicit on January 6th? Well, of course, that's a no-brainer. But it's just fascinating to hear these guys, these officers, the men behind the uniform, the fathers, the husbands, the sisters, the brothers, the grandfathers even possibly, that protected the Capitol. That day, the following days, if they weren't injured. It's just amazing that any senator... Anyone could sit there and shake their head and say, no, okay, well, we feel bad, but that's your job. Yes, I understand that's their job. But um, no, I I don't think Trump incited anything. I don't think he was complicit. And I think this is just something that we have to exercise and we just go on with our daily lives. I think much more needs to be done. Will it be done? Um, Is this just an exercise to appease the public, the left and the middle, I don't know. I kind of think it is, but I really, really hope something worthy comes out of this because what happened on January 6th is not acceptable on any level. Laws were broken. Lives were threatened. People were hurt. People died, or one person died, uh, as a result of what took place from a heart attack, I believe. And the precedent needs to be set. This cannot happen and will not happen on the soil of the United States of America. I really hope this committee has the teeth, has the power, and the might to stop this in its tracks and to set policy, to hold those accountable, and to make it very clear that moving forward, if anything even resembles something like this, you too will be held accountable. All right, we are going to have to leave it right there, my friends. We are out of time. Thanks again to Chris Bosch. And check out his book, Letters to a Young Athlete, a collection of short essays imparting life lessons to young athletes. Hope you have a great day. Enjoy summer because, you know what, once August gets here, man, it just slips away so quickly. So whatever your plans are, whether it's going to the park, the pool, the ocean, weekend getaway, get on a plane, whatever you need to do to enjoy life, especially during the last few weeks of summer, make sure you do it. Even if it's as simple as getting an ice cream comb and enjoying the hell out of it. Ah, the simple things in life. Hey, Gary Knowles next. My name is Mark Farrell. Thanks so much for your time. The hang time is always appreciated. Keep living and laughing.
Insight with Mark Farrell. Check out this and all Insight shows on the Insight page at prn.fm. prn.fm. Have Mark speak at your company, your kid's school or college. Mark speaks on critical topics that affect kids and adults everywhere, from anti-bullying, mental health, drugs and alcohol, to overcoming adversity. Visit markfarrellmotivation.com for more info. Insight, Thursday mornings at 11 on the Progressive Radio Network. Network.